0: How did elevators turn society and real estate markets upside down?
1: And what year is it right now in Ethiopia? Hmm, <laughs> not, not, uh, not what we think it is. I, maybe.
0: Okay, <laughs> answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob.
1: And Marsha. Smith.
0: Welcome to the Off Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life with some interesting facts and trivia. So, Marcia. Yes. What did elevators do to society? How did they turn society and real estate upside down?
1: Well, obviously, it went vertical after that. It allowed people to uh, expand upward instead of sideways. So that changed everything.
0: Well, here's what it is, Marcia. Before elevators, the upper floors were cheaper to rent than the ground floors. They weren't thought of as valuable in business buildings and in apartment buildings. Now, in business buildings, the upper floors were used for storage rooms and custodial services. And before the elevator, apartment buildings in New York City were limited to six stories because people wouldn't walk any higher than yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. The upper floors were used for laundry rooms, servants' quarters, or attic apartments for the poor. Really? That's how people thought of upper floors of buildings. Even the Dakota, which is the first luxury apartment building in New York City.
1: That's where John Lennon lived?
0: That's right. All of the original wealthy people lived at the ground floor, and the upper floors were for servants' quarters.
1: No kidding. What year did the elevator...
0: The first passenger elevators in an office building were in 1870, and that started to reorganize the way buildings were thought of. But it took almost 50 years before things changed in residential buildings. In 1922, developer Emery Roth constructed twin 15-story buildings, Myron Arms and Jerome Palace at Broadway in 82nd, and he designed top-floor apartments with terraces on all sides, and people could have gardens up there, and he introduced the word penthouse to real estate. That's when the upper floors of buildings began to be valued more than the lower floors. And they used elevators actually to lure the wealthy people because they said, you can have a private elevator to your mansion in the the sky. sky.
1: And your view is better, obviously. Yes, and
0: you won't have to deal with the hoi polloi. Uh They'll have separate elevators. (laughs) This is from a book that came out recently called Lifted, A Cultural History of the Elevator by Andreas Bernard, New York University Press. Got a lot of interesting facts in it.
1: I'm sure I'll be hearing about them Day and night for quite a while. Okay, Bob. So it's 2022. What year is it now in Ethiopia?
0: I assume it's not 2022. They're using a different calendar? Just a new calendar? This is
1: the question, Bob. This is the trivia. I don't
0: know the answer, Mark. You March? don't
1: know. Just say it. Just say it. It's so hard for you, isn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer. Okay, What? what is it? It
1: is 2014 in Ethiopia. They have their own calendar. Seven years and eight months behind the Western calendar. Oh. So it's just the start of 2014 there right now. (laughs) That's because it calculates the birth of Jesus Christ differently. Uh Uh-huh. Instead of zero, the Ethiopian calendar places Jesus' birth around 7 BC. Okay. That's because when the rest of the Christian world under the Roman Empire changed its calendar in 500 AD, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church did not.
0: So it's remained the same calendar yeah. since then.
1: So they say Christ was born around 7 BC. Yeah. So they're 2014 right now. I don't know how you deal with the rest of the world when you're at a different <laughs> year, but okay.
0: And speaking of Christ's birth, many Christians today think it was about anywhere from 4 to 7 or 8 BC. So they may be right on the mark as uh-huh. regards to that. But as far as the rest of their calendar, no. A <laughs> little behind not everyone so else. Much. Not so much. <laughs> Okay, Marcia. What famous world ruler loved bricklaying? In fact, so much so that until his death, he was a dues-paying member of a bricklayers' union. <laughs> this is a World War II. Leader.
1: Uh, Okay, say the opening again.
0: What famous world leader Uh loved bricklaying? Bricklaying. So much so that until his death, he was a dues-paying member of a bricklayer's union.
1: Uh, World War II.
0: Someone you admire.
1: I would say Winston then. Winston
0: Churchill, that's right. (laughs) From 1928 until his death in the 1960s, he was a dues-paying member of the amalgamated union of building trades workers. (laughs) And he wasn't just a bricklayer on paper. He personally built a swimming pool and a treehouse out of bricks for his children at Chartwell, his estate.
1: Well, see, now that's my kind of guy. He's got both sides of his brain going there. (laughs) I mean, you know? So you got prime minister and bricklayer. Very charming. Okay, Bob. Where are the world's oldest mummies located?
0: Well, I would assume that they're in Egypt, but well, since why you're
1: asking it. the question, obviously <laughs> they aren't. That's correct.
0: Okay, I will then guess one of the oldest civilizations, the Sumerian civilization, which was in what is now Iraq. That area there. Yeah,
1: that's a good. That's a good deduction. Good guess, and I'm right. Huh? Yeah. No. Oh. Egypt may be home to the world's most famous mummies, but not the world's oldest. That distinction belongs to Chile. Oh, really? In South America? Yeah. Okay. Mummified remains there predate their Egyptian counterparts by more than 2,000 years. Wow. Yeah. Known as the Chincharo mummies. These artificially preserved hunter gathers were first discovered just over a century ago in the Atacama Desert, the driest non-polar desert in the world. Mm, Okay, And their recent discovery is explained by the fact that they weren't buried in ostentatious pyramids. No, no. After... (laughs) (laughs) Not for these guys, but rather after being skinned and refurbished with natural materials. Skinned and refurbished? Well, you're a mummy, honey. Oh, dear. They're wrapped in reeds and placed in shallow, modest graves. It's estimated that the oldest uh, mummies there date back a full 7,000 years.
0: That is amazing. And again, in an arid condition, in, an, in a desert area. That's right. So
1: that's it. That's the answer.
0: All right. Here's another question about a famous person not known for what you think he was. Okay. Name this man. He was a biblical scholar, a professor of Oriental and Greek literature, and a compiler of a Greek and Hebrew lexicon. But he is remembered for a simple, easily remembered rhyme. Who was that person?
1: Do I know this person?
0: You've heard his name.
1: I. Okay.
0: You hear his creation every Christmas.
1: Okay. So was it Silent Night, Holy Night kind no. of thing? Uh,
0: this is a poem. Oh,
1: was it, uh, was it uh, Charles Dickens? No. Okay, I don't know.
0: Clement Moore, Clark Clement Moore. Oh,
1: yeah, yes, up on the rooftop.
0: Yeah, the night before Christmas or a visit from St. Nicholas. He lived from 1779 to 1863. And I guess this is why sometimes people are a little, you know, upset that they're not remembered for what they think are their greatest. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Their greatest creations. Yeah. This guy was a biblical scholar, professor of Oriental and Greek literature, and a compiler of a Greek and Hebrew dictionary, essentially. Yeah. But he's remembered for that simple verse he wrote for his children.
1: Yeah. it's uh, It drives people nuts like uh, Conan Doyle. He He's no, remembered always for Sherlock Holmes, and he hated that guy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but he wrote, you know, what became Jurassic Park and all that.
0: The Lost World was the name of the Jurassic Park. That's
1: correct. Yeah. He wanted his novels to be the center of his life. Right. All right, Bob. How, in the 19th century, would British elites have fun at parties with Egyptian mummies? They smoked the Egyptian mummies? (laughs) Uh, What did they do? They would hold mummy unwrapping parties. Oh, dear. Oh, isn't that disrespectful, to say the very least? I'd say
0: it's disrespectful to the dead, yes. Those
1: Victorians had a few strange ideas on how to have fun, and one of which was holding parties devoted to unwrapping mummies. They were all in full throes of Egypt mania at the time. Everybody was. They'd go there, and then they'd bring back a mummy, and they would all unwrap it.
0: See, this is where you uh, hear people saying, well, they shouldn't uh, return all of these artifacts to these countries. They don't have the best museums and everything, but what did they do when they brought them here? They brought the mummies here, and then they had money unwrapping parties. Somehow these things got out of the hands of scientists or archaeologists and into parties? It's just disgusting, isn't it?
1: Past the canopies, and... The mummy. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't
0: know. Jeez. Okay, Marsha. what are dermatoglyphics? Dermatoglyphics. Any idea what that would be? All right, be?
1: let me think. It Derm- would uh, be skin uh, tattoos.
0: Well, you're close to it, okay? okay? Derma being skin and glyph being carving. That's the technical name for the patterns and ridges your fingertips make on objects. In other words, fingerprints. Okay. Dermatoglyphics. Yep. It's almost impossible to change or eliminate fingerprints. So how did the famous gangster John Dillinger try to hide his?
1: Well, didn't he put his fingertips in acid? Somebody did. Yes,
0: yes. He tried to burn off his fingertips with acid, but it didn't work. It didn't? No.
1: He still had prints?
0: They still have prints. In fact, you can find in the literature pictures of before and after, and you can still see the ridges. Really? Yeah, they, you see them enough that they could be identified. is not that interesting? was
1: with pain, was it, John?
0: Uh, no, it wasn't. And the ridges eventually grow back. In the same patterns.
1: No kidding. After
0: you try to destroy them.
1: Isn't that curious? Hmm. All right, now a couple more questions
0: on fingerprints. All right. When do your fingerprints and other skin ridges form?
1: In the womb?
0: Yes, when?
1: I need to give you the month? Yes. Fourth month.
0: Well you're right between the third and sixth months of pregnancy. <laughs> well very good, very good. And you know that even identical twins have different fingerprints. No, I didn't know that yeah either. they have different fingerprints because during fetal growth the genes that control the dermal layers of the body parts dictate the size, shape and patterns of those those ridges. All right so now I've given you a couple questions about fingerprints and you know that dermatoglyphs are the fingerprints. Yeah So what is a dermatoglyphis?
1: No fingerprints.
0: That's right. It's a genetic condition where people are born without fingerprints. Technically, they're born without the ridges on the skin, which can be on the palms, the soles of your feet. All those ridges are in multiple places. Must be
1: very uncommon.
0: Yeah, it is uncommon. Be
1: a good person to be a thief.
0: And I'll have one more question on fingerprints Uh, coming up.
1: Oh, okay. All right, Bob. What city in the world has a government position entitled Minister of State for happiness. There is actually a country that has the Minister of, what is it again? Minister of State for Happiness.
0: Wow, I I like that.
1: Uh, Me too, yep, it's Dubai. Oh, no kidding. Yes. Dubai city has a genuine concern and passion for its citizens. This is a propaganda. This is Chamber of Commerce writing here. That's where I got this. The United Arab Emirates wants to ensure the citizens are happy. Hence it has created a position in the government responsible for citizens' happiness. The tremendous responsibility of the Minister of Happiness is to harmonize government plans, policy, and programs to ensure they bring happiness to their citizens. Oh, that
0: sounds <laughs> like just BS, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> well, it's a paying position. Hey, I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. Wow, <laughs> and, uh, interesting. And, uh, yes.
0: How in the world do you, you know, who's the police that make sure that works right? Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> is, is that kind of a funny thing? I don't
1: know. They have a little happiness meter. <laughs> oh.
0: Okay, two more fingerprint questions, Mark. Okay. Marsh. True or false, do animals have unique fingerprints? Yes. Oh, really? What animals have unique Would
1: that be apes? F-
0: yes. Uh, gorillas, orangutans, and chimpanzees They have them on their fingers and toes That are unique to each individual And sometimes this is one reason scientists think Maybe the reason for these ridges we have on our fingers uh-huh. Are to help grip things yeah. Because these animals have them and they yeah. hang Okay, how far back does the use
1: of fingerprints go? I don't believe it became a thing until the 1800s, middle 1800s.
0: The first record regarding the use of fingerprints is a document entitled The Volume of Crime Scene Investigation Burglary. How old is that document? Wow. The Volume of Crime Scene Investigation-Burglary.
1: I'll bet it goes... Back to ancient times.
0: More than 2,200 years ago. Good Lord. Goes back to the Qing Dynasty in China between 221 and 206 B.C. That document relates to how fingerprints were used as a type of evidence. And the Chinese have extensive records of fingerprints being used both for crime-solving And for securing important documents going back more than 2,000 years. So it's
1: way before. uh, Way
0: before the 1890s. Yeah. And they used uh, fingerprints in uh, clay uh, on seals on documents to authenticate who sent that document. Yeah. 200 B.C. or so. And then after the invention of paper by the Chinese in AD 105, it became common to sign documents using friction ridge skin. So they would use the index finger as a way to sign a document. So okay. basically using a fingerprint. And that goes back to 105 AD. That's hard to fathom. It's a long time ago.
1: Okay. How many languages, Bob, are in the world?
0: How many languages today? Yeah. I saw a statistic recently It said in New York City there's 800 languages no. spoken. In New York City. You know, with all the different people from all over the world. So I'll say a thousand
1: or fifteen hundred
0: languages? Yeah.
1: Nope. It's seven thousand one hundred languages.
0: Still existing in the world today. Right.
1: Of course they're all not equal. There's one language called Basu, B U S U U, and it's spoken by only the three people that are left. (laughs) As of 2005, there were only three people. It's spoken in Cameroon. But the top five languages in the world are? Name a couple. Uh, Chinese? No. Oh, I guess Mandarin is. Yeah,
0: Chinese. English? Yes. Are those the top two?
1: Yes, English, Mandarin, Hindi, Spanish, and French. Wow. Those are the top five languages of the world, of which there are 7,100.
0: That is amazing. And, and people might think, French, well, that's kind of a small country. Well, Britain was a small country, of course, and yeah. it exported English all over the world. But French was used in many countries as the language of diplomacy for centuries. Merci. Okay. We know Madame Tussauds' museum. We've been to that in, in London, right? Madame Tussauds is a famous wax museum with uh, all kinds of celebrity figures throughout history a pose there. The Beatles are there. There are all kinds of people going back to Henry VIII and before that. Now, how did Madame Tussaud get started in France in business? Madame Tussaud got started in business in France.
1: Ah, oh, I don't know. She made hats. A millinery.
0: No? Huh? She got her start during the bloody reign of terror during the French (laughs) Revolution. The radicals came to power and many members of French ruling class were beheaded, and she was commissioned to make death masks of the famous who were being guillotined.
1: Ah, good times.
0: Her wax museum opened nine years later in London in 1802, and then in 1833 it was moved to Baker Street, where it was connected to a chamber of horrors containing relics of criminals and instruments of torture. So it's oh had a dark history, yeah. a ghastly history. Oh. And it began at very ghastly times during the French Revolution. I had no idea. Yeah. I thought it was something
1: Something know, fun. Something fun. Like no, millinery no, stuff. No, I don't no, know. No, 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 okay.
0: no. French Revolution. No. We it's need uh, picked, we need these people's images we're going to kill here. Yes. Wouldn't okay. it be awful to be you're 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 gonna not only have your head cut off, they're gonna make a wax image of your face before you die. Yeah.
1: Okay, we need to take a break, Bob.
0: Oh, okay, heads off. I mean, uh, we'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. Welcome back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Marsha has a question.
1: What major city, Bob, has no street addresses or zip codes?
0: What major city has no street addresses or zip codes? Uh-huh. Is it in the United States? No. Okay, uh, I'm going to guess what part of the world first, okay? I'm going to say, is it in Europe? Is it the Vatican?
1: No, it's not Europe either.
0: Oh, okay, where is it?
1: Dubai. Oh, here we go, <laughs> you in Dubai. Yes, well, I had a rather large... Rabbit hole on Dubai. <laughs> where Across the world, Dubai is the most growing city in most respects. This fast growth rate resulted in the government choosing not to have street addresses and zip codes. Really? Now, why that follows... It
0: doesn't make any sense. sense. you think it'd be just the opposite.
1: Yes. Instead, the people of Dubai primarily use landmarks, maps drawn by hand, or verbal illustrations for directions. To me, that sounds like a wow. big waste of time. That's backwards. On the other hand, it might sound challenging to move around without street addresses if you are a visitor. But with time, you get used to the system. So they're not gonna change, so you better. (laughs) Apparently not. Addresses are provided only to a very few companies under very specific situations. Dear Lord. Yeah, but how do you send a- a, Well, for
0: a fast-growing area, you'd think you'd want some type of metrics. It's
1: it's ancient thinking, it's
0: crazy. Okay, what continent is home to the longest glacier in the world? It's both the longest glacier and the fastest moving one.
1: Well, it's uh, Antarctic.
0: Okay, you're right. But it's,
1: <laughs> Thank you, Bob.
0: It was discovered in the Australian Antarctic Territory, Lambert Glacier. It flows from central Antarctica toward the Amory Ice Shelf on the eastern side of the continent, 250 miles long.
1: Time for word origin. Uh-oh. <laughs> you always like those. Why do we call money saved up for a rainy day a nest egg?
0: Oh, why do we call it a nest egg?
1: It's a good answer.
0: Uh, well, a nest is for you, the future's coming from, a, from eggs, right? So why do we call a savings a nest egg? I don't know. Why?
1: The term actually comes from the 17th century when poultry farmers would try to trick their hens into increasing their egg output. Farmers would place a false egg, both real or fake, in the hen's nest to get her mojo going. Okay. Okay. And this would generally result in her delivering more eggs than usual meaning more money for the farmer, which he then credits to his nest egg. Oh, no (laughs) kidding. So it
0: was like a uh, almost a decoy, only in reverse.
1: All the money he makes from that, well, that's from my nest egg. Isn't that funny? Yes,
0: it is. I had no idea. Okay, a couple of more glacier questions for you here. (laughs) You know, we hear about glaciers going away. What's one of the few glaciers that's still growing, and where would it be?
1: Well, is that... Down under there? Down
0: under, but not down under down there.
1: <laughs> okay, tell me. Okay,
0: it's in South America. It is. The Portito Moreno Glacier uh-huh. covers 121 square miles. It's still growing. One of the Earth's few glaciers to do so. It's part of an ice field in Argentina and Chile. It makes up the world's third largest reserve of fresh water. I didn't know that the glaciers were still growing, which is oh, good. that's good. Good, yeah. Let's hope that stays up for a while. And in our country, how many glaciers are still in Alaska? This is all brand-new information. This isn't old stuff I dug out of a sleepy encyclopedia. This comes from the National Park Service. How okay. many glaciers are still in Alaska?
1: Will they count them, uh, I well, 142.
0: Nope. Glacier Bay National Park in southern Alaska, near the capital city of Juneau, it's home to a whopping
1: 1,045
0: oh. glaciers. What? 1,045. Among its most famous is... Marjorie, a tidewater glacier that extends for 21 miles from the Fairweather mountain range. So uh, it's an estimated that the glacier moves about six feet a day, breaking into icebergs. Yeah. But there are still 1,045 glaciers in Alaska.
1: Bob, get up and go count glaciers today. Then. Oh, and uh,
0: one missing from yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: <laughs> Got yeah, it.
0: kind of interesting, though.
1: Okay, Bob. Where do you get paid in gold to lose weight? Gold's Gym. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's
0: the name of it, yeah, isn't it? it is. You get paid in gold uh-huh. to lose weight? Uh-huh. Is this a club or an institution no, or a country? it's a place. Well, is it a country? No. Oh, well, who, who, who's giving you the money? The city. The city? Mm-hmm. Some city gives you gold to lose weight? Let's go there. <laughs> Where is this?
1: Well, now think about it. What's my... City du jour. Oh no, not Dubai uh, again! Yes, oh dear. That's it, my last. That must be third... just.
0: We should just have. Did you know?s About Dubai today? That's
1: well, three questions. Gosh! But in Dubai, you have to admit that's pretty. Uh, what you learned about Dubai today is pretty amazing. Yeah. You are paid two grams of gold for every kilogram, which is a little over two pounds. You lose in weight. Wow. That's, uh, the government has structured the program to allow only two children per family to be involved in the program, and the city spends about 700,000 a year on gold to pay locals to keep uh, attractive. Oh jeez. <laughs> and just for perspective on this city, there are some strict laws in Dubai. In Dubai, kissing, dancing or being intoxicated in public spaces is illegal, and you can wind up in jail. So, no kissing, no dancing. But you
0: you can be paid in gold to lose some weight. weight.
1: Yeah, so what's the point of losing weight if you can't kiss Kiss and and dance? Dance. I don't know. I know. It just defies common sense. Good question, Marsh. I don't know.
0: (laughs) All right, I got a question. Uh, This relates to the fact that sometimes people just don't recognize talent, okay? Okay. What famous writer was fired from the San Francisco Examiner early in his career? The paper's editor telling him, This isn't a kindergarten for amateur writers. Who was the quote amateur writer unquote?
1: It wasn't Samuel Clemens. No,
0: he was in uh, Montana
1: and other parts of the
0: West. But that's not who this person was. This is San Francisco. Let's not get distracted, Marcia. (laughs) Who was this writer? Fired from the center? No, not Raymond Chandler. No, I don't know. Rudyard Kipling, Aww. the author of The Jungle Book, among other great works. He was a reporter for the San Francisco Examiner. He was fired by the editor who said, I'm sorry, Mr. Kipling, you just don't know how to use the English language. Isn't that funny? This isn't a kindergarten for amateur writers. Oh, wow. He'd already written Harsh one stuff. of the best short stories in the history of literature, The Man Who Would Be King. And still, well, this editor just didn't get it. Well, Many editors
1: can be idiots. I can, I can vouch <laughs> from for your, that.
0: From your experience yes. as a journalist? Yes. That's funny. Yes. Well, okay. that's sad, but he went on to greater things.
1: Yes, he did. All right,
0: Marcia, where are the tallest freestanding sand dunes in the United States? I'm going to give the, you a choices here. Oh, thank you. Yes. Florida? Yeah. Michigan?
1: Yeah.
0: Idaho? Yeah. Georgia? Or the state of California? The tallest freestanding sand dunes in the United States? Michigan. No, not Michigan, no. Georgia? No, it's in Idaho, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, you think of these things as being near a huge body of water, well, like a, a an ocean or a great lake.
1: Well, we were just there a couple days ago. Yeah, and, the tallest
0: uh, freestanding dunes, not part of a dune system, are the dunes at the Bruneau Dunes State Park in southwestern Idaho. The dunes there are up to 470 feet high.
1: Oh, Lord. Well, is it on a body of water? What are we talking about here? Well, they're the only dunes in the
0: western hemisphere formed near the center of a basin. Other dunes usually form at a basin's edge, but they form at the center of a basin, so they think these dunes started about 15,000 years ago during a period of flooding. They remain there, and they remain stable, and unlike other dunes, they do not drift. The tallest freestanding sand dunes in the U.S. are in Idaho. Who knew?
1: Not me. Here's my last question, Bob, and mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with Dubai. What happens to the day and night during the Verno equinox
0: what happens to day and night yeah they both get
1: shorter no nope. they both get longer no nope. they become of equal duration oh dear the word equinox means equal night and hmm. that equal and it's the same amount of hours and time in night and day on that day Wow I didn't know that
0: I didn't either such simple language and we didn't know that
1: that's correct
0: <laughs> okay I have a, you said words I have a famous last word thing here. All right. Remember last week or so, I had uh, John Maynard Keynes saying, I wish I'd drunk more champagne. Uh That was his last words. Henrik Ibsen, the Norwegian poet and playwright, shortly before he died, his wife thought she saw a marked improvement in his (laughs) physical condition. He sat up in bed, said, on the contrary, and died.
1: (laughs) I don't know why that's so funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dear, dear, dear.
1: so she said to him. I, you're, I you, think you're looking uh, better, think, honey. And he goes, on, on the, the contrary. Cr- oh, and and boom. died. Wow, that's timing. I like that. Okay. I'm going to end with a quote about freedom from author Virginia Woolf. Lock up your libraries if you like, but there is no gate, no lock, no bolt that you can set upon the freedom of my mind.
0: Great quote there.
1: It is. And especially in these days.
0: We'd like to remind you, if you'd like to uh, contribute to the show, we love to hear from people who are listening around the world. And you can go to our website, theofframp.show, and go down to contact us and leave us a question if you want me to pose one for Marsha or one for her to pose to me. Question and answer, and tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're writing from. We welcome that kind of contribution. All
1: right. And if you want to correct us, go ahead.
0: Oh, yeah, that too. Okay. All right. I'm Bob Smith.
1: I'm Marcia Smith.
0: Join us again next time when we return with more fun trivia information here on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.